Hey, this is Evan Marquette, dating coach for smart, strong, successful women, and your personal trainer for love, welcoming you back to the Love You podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about dating, relationships, sex, and men from a man's point of view. And before we get into this podcast, I just wanted to offer you a very special gift. Um, it is a free trial, if you will, in my Love You course. Uh, the two weeks that I'm going to give you are about confidence. It is a gift. There is no obligation. All you have to do is click on the link beneath this video if you're watching on YouTube. Go to www.evanmarkkatz.com forward slash free dash trial and uh, get a big boost of confidence. Feel better about yourself. Uh, leave the past in the past and start dating with uh, joy and optimism and all those things that, that you lose after a series of bad experiences with men. I want to help you out. It's two weeks free and love you. I hope you take advantage of that offer by being a podcast listener. Now, today is uh, an interesting topic. I wrote six pages here um, because I had so much to say about it. Sometimes I could just uh, talk and tell a story that lasts for a half hour. Today, I really wanted to get my thoughts down because it's an interesting subject and it's not the kind of thing that, I, uh, uh, that you hear very often. And it's called uh, Why a Good Marriage is the Ultimate in Freedom. Um, that almost sounds uh, like an oxymoron. Uh, people associate marriage with uh, the ball and chain and lack of freedom. You don't have choices and you have to compromise. And, and, and uh, the way many people get married, that's, that's actually what it feels like. It, it, it feels like work. It feels like you have to deny a certain part of yourself. Um, and that's where uh, uh, bad marriage gets its reputation. The thing I'm talking about is good marriage. Right? So, you know, that's why the, the title is Why a Good Marriage is the Ultimate in Freedom. It's not any marriage. Most people have marriages where their, their sacrifices are too big, their compromises are too big, they can't express themselves or be themselves, and um, they're constantly criticized and have to walk on eggshells. It's not the kind of marriage I have, and it's not the kind of marriage I want you to have. So I'm letting you know that the thing I'm talking about is possible because I, I, I live it, uh, and it is a matter of choice. Um, any two people can get married, right? There's not, a, there's not a special skill to get married. Any two people can, can procreate. Um, and most people choose to marry people who aren't good partners. I, I, would, I would dare say most. Um, and I, I, although I'm a proponent of happy marriage, uh, I'm not a defender of bad marriage. Uh, you know, like I'm, I'm pro-marriage, but like a lot of people are like, oh, I'd rather be alone than be with a guy who limits me and criticizes me you should rather be alone than be with a guy who limits you and criticizes you and all those kind of things. So uh, I'm pro-good marriage, and it's important that you see that distinction. Um, sometimes people think marriage itself is the problem, right? Like the, the institution of itself is so very confining. Um, I think it's really more about the, 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 the compatibility and the choice that you have between you and the choice you make in your partner. If you marry a good kind of partner, ma marriage could be freeing. If you marry the wrong kind of partner, marriage could be the, the, the seventh circle of hell. So I want to do this podcast today to, to erase any doubt from your mind that the thing I'm talking about is, is true. Um, there is something as an easy partnership. There is something as a joyous partnership. There is something as unconditional love where all the troubles you have at work are left at work and you can come home and it's it's... Uh, your nurturing place, your supportive place, your joyous place. Um, that is a lot of people's dream and a lot of people don't think that, that they can have it. 
and I'm letting you know that you, you can. And if you're wary about marriage because of your parents' bad marriage or your bad marriage or your friend's ba bad marriage, just remember that is a very limited sample size, even if it's everything you've ever known. It's not everything in the universe, right? So it becomes a limiting belief, right? Marriage, in my experience, are, is, is X. Men, in my experience, are Y. It's a limited experience. Unless you've dated every man on the planet, it is a limiting experience. And I I'm, I'm really want to push you outside that comfort zone to stop defining dating as scary or men as bad and marriage is, is, a, is a losing battle for women. Um, so I wanted to start backwards. I don't do much research, as you may know. Um, <clears throat> but I asked, I, I wanted to go, what do people complain about in marriage? So I went to Google and it brought me to a Red Book article. Um, I don't subscribe to Red Book any, any longer, I will admit. But um, there was a two, 2015 article that talked about women's complaints about marriage and men. I just wanted to run down things that people complain about. He never helps around the house. He doesn't know anything about the kids. We have the same arguments every day. Uh, he drinks too much, plays video games too much. Uh, his family drives me nuts. He doesn't take care of himself physically. He always wants to have sex. I don't like the way he handles money. He doesn't appreciate you enough. So <clears throat> some of those things are a little silly, but for the most part, they're very normal, very common problems that are alleviated by three specific things. Number one, ensuring that you don't marry someone with whom you can't manage these issues over the course of 40 years. That means taking a good long time to figure out if you're compatible before you get married instead of marrying someone that you're in love with within the first year because you just know it's right. right? You may think it's cute and charming that he, you know, that he plays video games and he's passionate about it, but it's not until he's playing video games until two in the morning uh, and refusing to have sex with you that it becomes a problem. So. Uh, as I've said in a previous podcast, you really, really want to assess your compatibility and take your time. Um, and then these things become less of a problem because you know exactly what you're getting and how to navigate it. Number two, taking responsibility for your share in these issues, right? All issues aren't just one-sided. It's not, right? Most of us seem to think it's always the other person's fault. We are, we're not always 50% of the equation. Sometimes our partners are objectively wrong, but you have to own whatever piece of this is yours. And then three, learning how to communicate and work through your differences on these ideas. Um, two people could agree to disagree. Two people can learn to compromise. You don't have to constantly harp on each other's flaws. You could figure out a workaround. My wife, I'm an extrovert. My wife is more extroverted than I am. She wants to go out like five nights a week. And, and I say, honey, that's too much. If you want to go out five nights a week, you can go. I'll stay home with the kids. Right. She doesn't get angry at me. She just goes on another girl's night. Last night she went to, to see a girl on the train with her mommy friends who she saw like three times last week. God bless her. She doesn't need to be locked at the hip. And that's our compromise. I'm extroverted. She's super extroverted. And she doesn't expect me to be her. A big part of navigating these things, we talk about the ultimate freedom in a relationship, is expectations. Unmet expectations can kill your hope. Right? Reality in itself is fine. It's when you have a set of expectations that continually goes unmet. If you expected to be a millionaire at age 30 and you're not, you could beat yourself up every day and be really disappointed, but you may have set the bar so high that virtually no one has jumped it. Right? If you expect to move to Seattle and th have 300 sunny days a year, you might find yourself disappointed because that's not the kind of town Seattle is. And why set yourself up for that kind of disappointment? So. Um, Having realistic expectations based on reality, 
talk a lot about this, right? As a guy who's been on 300 dates, believe me, I, I know you can't look at each person as if they're, they're, they're potentially your, your partner, even if technically that's what you're there for. It puts way too much pressure on a situation. So two to three years of dating, go to set your expectations about what you can get out of a partner so that you're not terribly surprised that yes, the person that you were with for those first two to three years is the exact same person that you get after you get married. Right? There's the, we're eliminating mystery, we're eliminating surprise so that the person you marry doesn't turn out to be someone other than the person you were dating. So one more thing before we jump in. Um, the red book list about things that you don't like about the guys you're dating. It, it, the, the, the language is very black and white. So I want you to remember, even if your husband isn't perfect, and he won't be, um, he's, he's a, in a relationship, he's a necessary component, right? Like you, you have to take the good with the bad. So we'll use this as an example, right? It's a starting point. Uh, housework. Um, women complain that men don't do any housework. Now, any, if he it literally doesn't do any, you have a real problem on your hand. The interesting thing is, uh, and this is what facts and studies show, this is not my opinion, men are doing more housework than they've ever done before, right? Historically, right? Like it's the same way some people think crime's going up when crime is in fact down. Men are in fact doing more housework than they've ever done before, right? But it's still significantly less than women, right? And so that's an interesting disconnect where a guy feels like he's contributing in a way that his father never contributed, right? But it still pales in comparison to um, the woman, and that's not necessarily fair, and it's, uh, it creates bad blood, and both pe people feel righteous, right? So realize that if you didn't have the, a boyfriend or a husband or a guy who was in the picture, you'd be doing 100% of the housework. So I'm not saying that uh, it's right or fair at all. I'm saying that when we expect things to be split 50-50 in everything, it usually doesn't work that way. Very rarely is there a complete 50-50 split of how much a couple makes. Usually one person makes more than the other. Makes sense. All right. And so similarly with, with housework. Yes, it would be ideal if you did a 50-50, and it's not that you don't have a, a logical leg to stand on. Right? However, if you have a guy who's putting in 30% of the housework, and you were alone, you'd be doing 100% instead of 70%. So it's a net positive that, that is often useful to reframe if he brings other things to the table, right? If he does nothing, if he brings no income to the table and he's like living off of you and you're cleaning up around him, that's a different story. I would never encourage you to be with a slacker. But pay attention to the things he does bring instead of just the things that he does not bring. Same thing goes with child rearing. Um, you, can you can complain, and rightfully so, that your husband is inadequate, but that's for the most part, and I'll raise my hand on this one, it's because men are not usually not the primary child uh, uh, caregivers. Um, uh, I, you know, I didn't intend on having this. My wife had the same job for 16 years before uh, uh, she married me, but uh, she became a stay-at-home mom uh, after six months after we had kids. She's like, I really like this mom thing. I want to devote myself to it, and so. She is in charge of the house. She's in charge of the kids. She's in charge of the house and, and, and everything. And so when it comes time for me to do something, I haven't done it as much. And half the time, I don't know what to do. And half the time, she gets annoyed with me because I don't know what to do. And she's like, and then it becomes, well, just let me do it myself. <laughs> right? And 
that, I mean, and we see sitcoms, I mean, sitcom portrayals of clueless husbands. Part of the reason that they're clueless is that they're, sometimes they're asked to step in to do a job that they rarely do, and if they do it, something is going to get lost in translation. Um, and it's easy to focus on how he's not you and he hasn't memorized all your routines and doesn't know where all the kids' stuff go. And again, I'm, I'm talking as a father. This is not, you know, for women who don't have kids, this isn't as applicable to you. But once again, it's always, it's always healthier to focus on being appreciative of what he does do, uh, makes him want to do more, um, being encouraging, enabling him to do more. Hey, today we're going to teach you, like my wife still hasn't told me, you know, the, the kids' clothes. She won't let me dress the kids because she's very particular and about how things look. So I can't dress my own kids. It's ridiculous. My kids are four and five. Right? They're almost ready to dress themselves. But if I wanted to help out and choose clothes for a day, I, I, no matter what I do, I'm going to do it wrong. Right? And that's because my, my wife, my lovely, perfect wife, has disempowered me from learning how to do it. I'll, I'll just do it myself. And then it comes to a time for her, you know, where she's not available. And she's like, seriously, you don't know how to dress the kids? <laughs> so these are the positions that, that guys often find themselves in. Despite their goodwill, we don't like to sit like a bump on a log. We want to be able to help out. And so um, it's humbling and it's emasculating every time your wife rolls her eyes at you like, oh, Jesus, don't you, don't you know how to do anything? Remember, in general, we're doing the best that we can. Again, I'm establishing all of this. We're talking about the ultimate freedom in a marriage. That's the overarching thing of it. So... It's how do you create a marriage where this doesn't feel stultifying, where, where these kind of things are tiny, tiny bumps in the road, which they are in this marriage, because this is, uh, you know, I'm focusing on the, on the minutia. Um, similar with the concept of having um, the same arguments every day. These are red book complaints about, about guys. That's every relationship. John Gottman, who's like the godfather of couple counseling, said 70% uh, of arguments are the same argument. Right? They're just coming in different forms. All of my arguments are about, about prioritization and time management. My wife and I disagree. Um, and we understand what, what, what are deal breakers and what are not deal breakers. My wife married a guy who is highly analytical um, and highly critical because he's analytical. I criticize myself and I criticize others and I'm a fixer. That's how I do this job. I see things, I say, here's how we can do this better. Um, she's the complete opposite. She's the la-di-da, everything's good, no self-help, no change. Whatever I've been doing for 46 years, I'm just going to keep on doing it, works for me. Right, so we're really, really different in that regard. But I put up with her unwillingness to change and optimize, and she puts up with my desire to change and optimize, and that's the that's essentially the, the, the fundamental con conflict and compromise in our relationship. But because we understand this about each other, it never threatens to destabilize us. It's our long-running inside joke rather than the thing that has us at each other's throats. So just being able to own who you are right, diffuses the whole thing. Right? My wife can make fun of me for being a know-it-all and make fun of me for not being handy around the house. And I can make fun of her being for being... Um, uh, too, too worried about how it looks and taking too much time to throw a party and so what? So what? Doesn't affect our marriage because that's who she is, that's who I am. And so acceptance goes a really long way in having a marriage that's freeing when you don't have to pretend to be something that you're not and you're not constantly criticized for being something you're not. And if we keep on going down that red book list, we see other points of potential compromise, right? How he spends money, how he eats, how he drinks, how much he wants sex, how he stays in shape, how much you see his family. Right? These are all reasonable points of contention, and they're also reasonable points of negotiation. 
Right? But remember, it's not your job to mold the guy. It's your job to accept the guy. If you can't accept him, then don't stay with him. But if you're going to be with him, there are negotiation points. Because the key to a happy and successful marriage is in, is in making sure that you're approaching this from a team perspective. It's not me versus you. What are we going to do here so that both of us can remain content? If it's all about him and his needs, and many women have gone out with men who think that they're the sun and you're a planet revolving around them. If it's all about him and his needs, you're going to be miserable. Right? And there are guys, right? just selfish, narcissistic, ego-driven guys. It's all about them. Don't date that guy. Problem solved. And so if it's all about you, and you may not realize that it is, most people don't, if it's all about you, and you're expecting him to change himself and negate all of his needs, which are not your needs, his need to watch football on a Sunday with his guy friends, is a reasonable need. Right? It's, not a, it's not a bad thing, time to himself to do some masculine, unimportant thing. Right? And if you ask him to negate all of his needs because he has to be devoted to you in every second, he'll be miserable. So the hallmark of a bad marriage is when both of those two things take place. Right? Two people pretend they could live with their partner's flaws, but they can't, or the whole thing's an act. And they secretly seethe and resent. And they spend the rest of their lives complaining about each other, trying to change each other, and resenting each other. All right, that's the ultimate in bad, and everybody's experienced it in a relationship at some point in time. All right, it's not about fixing that relationship, it's about finding a different partner. So as we end the first part of this, of this Love You podcast, we're going to get to even the juicier stuff in the second half, I want to leave you with the idea that the real piece, first piece of the puzzle in a successful marriage is 100% acceptance. All right? If you don't accept him 100%, he doesn't accept you 100%, or at least 95%. This is who this person is. I could deal with it. They're flawed, but whatever. Right? If you can't do that and say that in good conscience, that you pretty much like 95% of your boyfriend, right? there's just 20% you don't like. Well, that's too much. And you're setting yourself up for one of those cliched relationships where all the focus is on the differences between you instead of the majority of your relationship, which should be based on love and support and saying yes to each other. So in the second half, we're gonna talk about what it looks like and feels like to experience unconditional love and freedom and illustrate that a good marriage is not a constant struggle, it's not work, it's joy, it's the freedom to be yourself at all times and be loved for it. This is the Love You Podcast. My name's Evan Mark Katz and we'll be right back. Hey, this is Evan Marquette, dating coach for Smart, Strong, Successful Women, and your personal trainer for love. Welcome you back to the second half of this Love You podcast. Um, I want to begin this segment by reading something, um, reading something verbatim uh, without permission, but I'm quoting here. Um, it's from Jonah Lehrer's blog. Now, Jonah Lehrer is, uh, is a hell of a writer. He wrote a book, it's one of my favorites, called How We Decide. Uh, and his latest book is called A Book About Love, which is sitting on my shelf and I haven't read it yet. Um, but in this blog post, he considers various theories on why married men make 12% more than single men. And trust me, I have a point. It just takes a while to get there. He considers and dismisses the idea that it's because they already have wives who do the housework, or that men who marry already possess the traits associated with high salaries. He said, the real trick is that marriage is like a crash course education in how to get along with others, and those benefits extend to the workplace. So here's the quote. 
Matrimony is kind of a college for the emotions, instilling partners with a very valuable set of non-cognitive traits. As DeLind Leonard and Stanley point out, marriage might cause men to settle down, be more stable, and focused on work and career. While we often draw a sharp distinction between the worlds of work and love, and assume that the traits and skills that are ascension in one domain are irrelevant in another, the marriage premium is a reminder that such distinctions are blurry at best. In fact, the talents that married men learn from marriage are roughly equivalent, at least in monetary value, to the income boost the average worker gets from attending college but not graduating. A bachelor's degree gives people even a bigger salary boost. There's some scattered evidence. Men who score higher in grit are more likely to stay married. Those with secure romantic attachments are happier employees. But these are just glimpses and glances of what remains a mostly mysterious schooling. Besides, the greatest skills we learn from marriage, or really any committed relationship, might not be measurable, at least not in the psychometric sense. This is rampant speculation rooted in my own experience, but it seems that marriage can provide us with a valuable sense of perspective, stretching out the timescale of our expectations. We learn that moods pass, fights are forgotten, forgiveness is possible. We realize that everything worthwhile requires years of struggle, even love, and that success is mixed up with the salty residue of sweat and tears. I have no idea how much that wisdom is worth at the office, but I'm damn sure it helps with the rest of your life. Yeah, I think that that's spot on. I always like to share things um, that I've read from other people that, that seem to hit the mark. Nothing holds up a mirror to you more than marriage. Nothing, nothing reveals who you are more than being in a 24-7 relationship with someone because you can't hide from your own flaws. Your partner will reflect them back to you. You'll see what's wrong with you, whether, whether he or she tells you or it bubbles up inside of you and you recognize that you are uh, too emotional or shut down or run from fights or have anger issues or deep insecurities and fears that dictate the way you run your life. Right? Marriage reveals all of that. Um, insecurity is a, is a big one, but you know, being, being needy, short-tempered, and that's what's scary to so many flawed human beings, right? We're all flawed human beings, right? If you live alone, you never really have to face your own fears. Right? They're not revealed to you on a daily basis. You could have your cat and you could have your dog, right? and they don't give you any feedback, and they love you when you feed them and when you pet them. And Being alone doesn't reveal you. It doesn't push you to be a better person. It doesn't mean that people who are alone can't be good people. Of course not. Right? But marriage is a constant look in the mirror about how someone else perceives you and how well you can get along with someone that you claim to love and value. And in facing your own flaws, owning them, and doing your best to become a better partner, you do, in fact, become a more loving partner. Right? One should. One should evolve. I would love to think I'm a better husband now than when I first got married eight years ago. Uh, in fact, tangent, I, I remember, I feel like I told this story, but I, when I first got married, we just moved in together after we got married, and I went out to, uh, I, was, I was out driving and I saw a taco truck, and I stopped at the taco truck, and I bought three tacos, and I came home, and I said, honey, I found this taco truck, it was just a few blocks from our house, and, it was, and she said, you didn't bring me any tacos? I, and, I, and I was like, um, no, I, 
I just was so excited that I found a taco truck. I didn't even think about it. She goes, well, you know, it's my dinner time too. Right. That was with the, the first month of me being married before I stopped thinking for two people. Before I started thinking for two people. It was, I was in my little selfish, narcissistic, single man world where I resided for 35 years and it took a while. So I've definitely made an evolution. I, I'm, I'm much less overtly alpha and selfish than I used to be. And usually the best answer to any question is yes, dear, whatever you say, dear. Um, even if it's said snark, in a snarky way or a joking way, ultimately my wife gets whatever she wants. So there are many men and women who think that, uh, they think that married life is sort of like a slice of hell. Men have to hold their wife's purses when they go shoe shopping. Women who cry themselves to sleep when their husband is working late. Men who are constantly reminded of all the inadequacies that they, they commit at home and all the ways they do things wrong. Women who constantly feel that he doesn't listen or care about her feelings. I am acknowledging, I'm not minimizing, I'm acknowledging that this is a very real problem. I'm also reminding you that this is not the only kind of relationship that's available to you. Right? Those, are, those, those happen all the time, but it's a choice to stay in that relationship instead of getting out. So I've already said on this podcast uh, that I have a rich dating history in which women who claim to have liked me, and again, I, I don't do these things to make myself look good, women who claim to have liked me have informed me that I was arrogant, argumentative, tactless, dramatic, short-tempered, sexist, perverted, and even sociopathic. I was a girlfriend I was madly in love with. I was with her for, for six months. She dumped me three times. She thought I was a sociopath. They were all completely convinced of this from their experience with me. And despite my devotion to them, they all ended up dumping me. So to me, there are three things that are striking about what I just told you, and I want to point them out. I was madly in love with women who constantly reminded me what was wrong with me. Just right there. I was crazy about them. Never would have dumped them. Madly in love. And even if they were occasionally right, they're their questions, their observations. Why be in a relationship with someone who claims to love you, but constantly harps on your flaws and treats your love as if it's conditional instead of unconditional? Unconditional is my wife knowing that I'm flawed and I know she's not going anywhere. Conditional is you better change this or I'm gonna break up with you or I'm gonna break up with you unless you change. And this, this, that cycle, that, that cycle of crazy making, which is again, is not about acceptance, it's about I don't like you the way you are. You better change for me or else. People don't change for other people. They really don't. Number two, what I found striking. So I was in love with people who constantly reminded me about my flaws. Number two, these women were aware of my flaws. I was largely blind to theirs. <laughs> I was willing to overlook their flaws because of some combination of chemistry and fear. This was the best I could do. This is the high water mark in my relationships. So they had major problems with me, and if they had major problems, I didn't care. One of these women who didn't like me, I wasn't that attracted to her, but I didn't care. I, another one had you know, deep psychological issues, I didn't care. <laughs> All right, so when you're madly, irrationally in love, you could be criticized by someone and not even think about it because you're so gaga, head in the clouds, in love. You sweep their problems under the rug while they're focusing on your problems instead of your strengths. And then number three, the best thing that ever happened was that these women dumped me. I can only imagine 
what my life would look like if they didn't. If I were still madly in love with a woman who thought I wasn't good enough and had major, major problems with me and brought them up at every turn. Right? If they didn't dump me, if they didn't have the courage to do that and I just stayed. And this is what women do as well. They stay with a guy who I'm in love with him, therefore I'm gonna make the relationship work and I'm gonna stay come hell or high water. I'm gonna hold on to this relationship because this is what love is and you fight for love. And, right? and they're miserable, miserably in love. The greatest gift you can give your man is your time and your acceptance. Suddenly, the same guy who's wary of women and afraid of marriage realizes that he's not averse to relationships. He's averse to being criticized and micromanaged. <clears throat> when I talk about freedom in marriage, it's because my value, and it's, it's a personal value, it's not everybody's, is to be 100% authentic. Um, at all times. I'm the, same, I'm the same with you as I am with my wife as I would be with the President of the United States. Um, and for the most part, my wife really has no problem with this, all of this. We laugh at my willingness to talk politics at dinner parties and to fight with strangers on the internet uh, and to have my head buried in my phone uh, and, uh, where I'm only sort of half listening to her story about how she picked up the kids at school. Um, and again, I, I acknowledge my flaws. I don't pretend they're not real, but they're not huge sources of tension because our foundation is strong. And this is where the freedom comes from. Right? Her, she teaches me to be a better person. Her willingness to accept me is, I don't say this as a form of social proof or braggadocio, like look at me, my marriage is so strong. I say it because I, I believe it deeply. Right? This is, I'm, I'm saying it as, as a statement of fact. I chose a happy, easygoing, cool, and trusting wife. And I spend my whole life trying to understand women. It's my job, trying to understand women and improve myself. Um, so she's naturally great, patient, and accepting. I do everything I can to be as good as she is. And because she knows I'm always doing my best, I'm never my, more myself than I am with my wife. I could say insecure things, I could say arrogant things, I could, be, I could be all of those things that we all are privately, but I could let them out and I have one person on the planet who's just like, you're good, I'm not going anywhere, I love you, I don't, I don't think I could be any better, I couldn't, couldn't be any happier. I should have brought in the anniversary card she, she gave the other day, it made me cry, but lots of things make me cry. So there's... I reveal myself in this podcast because I think it's important. Again, I don't think people talk straight about love and freedom and what it all means. They, they gloss it up a little bit. Um, I want you to have a relationship like I have where there's no public you and private you. You don't act different with your girlfriends than you do with your husband. You don't have to ask for permission to do things. You don't have to apologize for speaking your mind. This is the nature of being free and not constricted. This is not walking on eggshells because of the insecurities and demands of your partner. So if I sound preachy, right, it's because I believe in easy relationships, not relationships that take work. I believe in choosing wisely, dumping a lot, a lot, a lot of people until you find the relationship that just feels like home. Um, instead of marrying someone who's you know, because you've been together for three years and you're, you started at 27 and you're 30 years old and it's just the thing that happens next and if you don't marry him, you're gonna have to go back to dating and all those reasons that people get married, so often fear-based. Well, I'm, you know, we fight a lot, but 
he does love me and he is cute and he makes a good living, so I guess I'm just gonna stay. Right, and then you spend your whole life fighting with your, your husband. I, I know people, my clients, in their 50s, 20-year miserable marriages. I mean, it was miserable while they were dating and they stayed and they just tried to keep their mouth shut and plow ahead. Um, and it's all because they couldn't accept each other. From the very, very beginning, they couldn't accept it. And they got into a relationship that was unacceptable. And then they accepted the unacceptable relationship. So to me, from me to you, um, from a guy who's, who just celebrated his eighth anniversary and is in an easy, happy, joyous, unconditionally love, loving, freeing relationship, it's better to get out and find a different partner than it is to go your whole life biting your tongue with the person who's supposed to love and accept you the most. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Uh, my name is Evan Mark Katz. This is the Love You Podcast. Next week, I'm going to go deep on the topic of sexclusivity. My term, sexclusivity. Why women should make, make men wait for sex. You're not going to want to miss it. In the meantime, if you're on YouTube, go click on the links below. Join me on Facebook. Join me on Twitter. Uh, sign up on my... Uh, my website, Evan Mark Katz. And if you are ready to turn your life around now, go to www.evanmarkkatz.com forward slash free dash trial. Get yourself two free weeks in Love You. Uh, it's my gift to you to help you uh, start dating with confidence and feel good about yourself and the prospects of finding yourself true love in the not so distant future. Again, my name is Evan Mark Katz. This is the Love You Podcast, and I will see you again next week. Okay.